everybody. It is time for Apollos Watered, a podcast to saturate your faith with the things of God so that you might saturate your world with the good news of Jesus Christ. My name is Travis Michael Fleming, and I am your host. And today on our show, we're having another one of our Deep Conversations. A deep conversation with filmmaker Dallas Jenkins. Now, if you've been on social media at all, or if you have any Christian friends who are, then undoubtedly you have seen them post about The Chosen. It is a phenomenon. It is taking the internet and world by storm. There are people all over the world watching this new miniseries on Jesus's life. It's inspirational, it's insightful, and it is really just simply incredible. Why? Because it allows us to get a glimpse at Jesus from the eyes of those who knew him. Oftentimes, whenever we read the scriptures, we don't see their backstories. Jenkins creates that for us, so that when Jesus walks up and says, follow me, It's not out of nowhere. It's out of a story of need. It's pretty incredible and extremely insightful. It has its critics, to be sure, but it inspires so many more. If you haven't seen it or you are hesitant, may I just try to dispel that for you. I have studied the scriptures my entire life. I've been a pastor for over 20 years, working in some pretty incredible places and serving some really wonderful people. But one of the things that I have seen is that whenever we read the scripture, there seems to be a misunderstanding that takes place with people. They fail to see the apostles and those around them to be very real. And we wonder, does God see me struggle? Does the Bible really touch me? And is it really written to people like me? May I encourage you and say, it is. One of the challenges for any pastor who is expositing the word of God is to delve deep within the context of the scripture to show how it applies to our lives, to show how God really does speak to us. Oftentimes, whenever we read the scripture, there are nuances that we often miss. Here's what I mean. In the book of Luke, chapter 15, in the parable of the prodigal son, I think we're all familiar with the story. And if you're not, I would heavily encourage you to go back and read it because it is one of the most amazing, inspirational stories that have that has ever been told. If you are familiar with the story, then you are undoubtedly familiar with how the prodigal son returns to his estranged father. And he is the estranged son. The father is not estranged, but the son is. And when the father sees the son a long way off, the text simply says that he ran. 
When Middle Eastern interpreters went to interpret that specific passage, they stopped. For them, it was unbelievable that a man of that status would take up his tunic and run to his estranged son who had completely dishonored him and dishonored the family. In fact, he shamed them. In the West, we miss that detail. We don't understand the nuance and the backstory. Jenkins seeks to bring in details like that, where we can get the backstory and we can see how much they were like us and how God is working in and through us, broken as we are. He still reaches us where we are and seeks to transform us by bringing us to himself. I want you to listen into this interview and this conversation as it takes place. As we discuss a bit of Dallas's life and his upbringing, his inspiration for The Chosen, as well as his critics and the challenges that he face, faces. But not only that, we discuss what God is doing in the hearts and minds of people who witness it around the world. I hope that you enjoy this conversation as much as I did. And stay tuned afterwards as we talk through some of the things that we have coming up that we are excited to share with you. I also want to let you know that today's episode is brought to you in part by Derek Eastman Insurance Agency, fulfilling all of your insurance needs. Give him a call today at 630-466-1144. With that in mind, here's my conversation with Dallas Jenkins. Happy listening. Dallas Jenkins, welcome to Apollos Watered. I am indeed Dallas Jenkins, and I'm glad to be here. Thank you. <laughs> All right. You got are you, the first part right. We got the first part right. All right. Are you ready for the Fast Five? I don't know. I'll find out as soon as you start asking. I, I, I'm, I'm hopeful that I'm ready for it, but let's, okay. uh, let's, the only way to find out is to go into it. Okay, here we go. This, this is an easy one. Tacos or sushi? Tacos. Tacos all day long? All day long. I mean, okay. s- yes. Sushi, I, I, I'm, I'm actually keto, so I don't even eat tacos most of the time. So, ah. uh, so we'll see. But yeah, I would prefer tacos over sushi. Okay, here we go. You're an 80s kid. I mean, we're the same age. So A-Team or Knight Rider? Neither, because when I was growing up, I wasn't allowed to watch those shows. Ever? Okay, how about this then? How about this? Left Behind or The Chosen? Oh, oh, oh. wow. Uh, Geez. Well, when it comes to, uh, here's the easy answer. The Left Behind books over The Chosen books, but The Chosen show over the Left Behind movies. Oh, that was a Jesus answer. Yes. That was, a, you know, what's in my hand? <laughs> that, that's yes. a good one. Mind, that's mind good blown. One. <laughs> okay, what's your hobby when you're not making movies? That's third question. Uh, there's nothing I love more than like eating at a restaurant with my friends or family. Like that's my favorite thing to do. I'm a huge food food guy. Um, but other than that, it's it's watching watching shows with my wife is probably my biggest thing. If you want, if you, but, but those on hobbies, I guess good, better, better. That's a good question. Hobbies is uh, I'm a, I'm an avid poker player and uh, that's in fantasy, fantasy sports, probably my two biggest. Hobbies. What's your, what's your fantasy sport? Baseball and football. 
Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. Now, how, how about this? Favorite Jesus film, actually, uh, yeah, favorite Jesus film or show outside of The Chosen? Probably Jesus of Nazareth. I grew up on that. Uh, the, the, you know, when The Passion came out, I was obviously moved by The Passion. And, uh, but yeah, I think Jesus of Nazareth was what I grew up on and thought this was, this was cool. But I don't believe that Jesus was a blue-eyed, you know, European. So it hasn't aged as well, but, uh, but yeah, that was a, that was a strong one. But honestly, the reason The Chosen exists is because I've always been a little bit disappointed by most Jesus projects. So that's why I made The Chosen. I agree with you on that one. And that's why I like The Chosen. We'll get to that in a minute. But speaking of movies, I mean, you're a director, you enjoy film, but if your life were a movie, who would you have directed and who would have, who would play your role in it? Wow. Okay. Those are actually, that's an easier question. I've, I've never been asked it, but it's actually a pretty easy question. So Rob Reiner is, uh, or Quentin Tarantino. I know both, I know they, they, they don't sound like they belong in the same sentence, but um, Rob Reiner is probably my most, my favorite and most influential modern day director. Um, he's a little okay. old now, so I don't know how good of a job he'd do, but, uh, but he, he I, I love him. And, uh, and then Ethan Hawke is who I've been told I look like the most and who throughout his life, like there were times when if I posted a picture of him as me, people would have actually been confused. So oh. I think Ethan Hawke would for sure play me. Okay, that's good. That's pretty cool. <laughs> actually, I could totally see that comparison. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So we've seen a lot. I mean, for those that have been out there and checked out The Chosen, or if they're a fan of The Chosen, they've seen a lot of the videos that are out there. But oftentimes, I mean, we hear a bit of your story, but let's hear a little bit more about your story. We know you're Jerry Jenkins' son. Your dad is a famous author. But what is your story? Who is Dallas Jenkins? Well, yeah, I think my, my dad being the left behind guy mm -hmm. um, means quite a bit in my story because before Left Behind, he was an author as well. So I grew up in a very strong fundamentalist Christian home. Um, I was actually sheltered from most television and movies, as I mentioned in the Fast Five. Um, I, you know, we were only watching things that were super family friendly and clean. And I, I did notice that non-Christian projects or movies or TV were always so much better than Christian movies or TV. So mm. that was something that kind of struck me when I was growing up. Um, but I was, a, you know, a Bible student. I, I was an Awana kid. I mean, I, I um, you know, I went to Christian schools my whole life and I went to a, a Bible college and, you know, being the son of, of an author and then when Left Behind blew up, that was part of my story too, because that's my first job out of college was working for a small production company in Louisville, Kentucky that got the rights to the Left Behind books as a movie. Mm. And so my, my beginning in the business was, three and a half years working as a low level secretary for this small production company. And then right when the movie was about to be made, my dad and I realized it wasn't going to be the movie that we had hoped for. And mm -hmm. so we started our own company. Um, and my dad, by then the, the, the movies had been, or the books had been successful enough. He was doing well financially for, so that he could start a company like this. And so we started making movies when I was 25 years old, back in 2000. And, uh, I also got married to my college sweetheart. I went to Northwestern Bible College in St. Paul, Minnesota, where I met my wife, Amanda. And I have four kids now, uh, all 20, the, the ages are 20, 17, 15, 14, six, sorry, 16 and 14. We are moving to Texas in mid-July because that is where The Chosen now is going to have its permanent home. And uh, I've been so far with making The Chosen traveling too much uh, away from my home. So uh, from the last... 10, uh, for, for, well, from 2010 to 2000, 
17, uh, my movie career existed at Harvest Bible Chapel in Chicago. And that's where I made the feature film, The Resurrection of Gavin Stone, mm-hmm. um, who, which the failure of that movie is what allowed, uh, the failure of that movie, the box office, is what allowed me to do the short film for Harvest Bible Chapel, the Christmas short film based on the birth of Christ from the perspective of the shepherds. And that short film ended up going viral and was the catalyst and the fundraiser for The Chosen. Um, and uh, I, had, I had resigned from Harvest around the same time that I was doing the short film. Uh, and, and then when the short film hit, it was like, okay, this is, could potentially be my next, my next gig is trying to do this show. And, uh, and the rest is history. Did, did you have, I mean, you made that video and I've seen it. Uh, you filmed that in Marengo, Illinois, is that right? Yeah, 20 minutes from my home on my friend's farm. That's so crazy. I mean, watching it, it's like, wow, that's in Illinois. I, I wouldn't have guessed that. I thought that was pretty phenomenal. And I'm like, hey, that's just right behind behind where we're at because we're not far from each other. When you made that, did you have that in mind that this was going to be the first part of, a, of an entire series? I mean, was that your hope or did you just say, hey, I want to make this. This is cool. Make it for church and have other people see it. And then, I mean, when did you realize that, hey, this is much bigger than this? Oh yeah, no, I had no concept when I was making the short, but I will say I, I have done short films and vignettes for Harvest before. I had mm-hmm. done, that's where I actually met Jonathan Rumi, who plays Jesus now in The Chosen. Uh, he was at Harvest? A, yeah, it was a short film at Harvest called The Two Thieves um, for our Good Friday services back in like 2013 or 2014. And I don't, I don't remember exactly the year, but we did a short film based on the crucifixion, but from the perspective of The Two Thieves. And awesome. Jonathan had auditioned for one of the thieves because they were the main characters. Jesus doesn't even show up until the last five minutes. And Jonathan auditioned. And I've had these two other guys who were really good as the thieves, but I didn't have a good Jesus. And 10 seconds into Jonathan's audition for Jesus, I was like, oh my gosh, this guy's incredible. And then when we were filming and I'm like, this guy's the best Jesus I've ever seen. Like, and I've seen all the Jesus projects and this is just five minutes of screen time. I was just completely blown away. So we started doing that more. We started doing more short films and vignettes for Harvest. So when my feature film bombed at the box office and uh, the plans to do more feature films with these big Hollywood companies who had gotten involved uh, all fell through, um, I went back to the, to the well and did another short film for my church. Mm-hmm. And I remember when I was doing it, I thought, this is my wheelhouse. Like I'm never happier as a, f- a filmmaker than when I'm doing these Jesus projects. And at the same time, I was binge watching shows with my wife. I would binge watch shows while I would work out. And I was binge watching shows like Friday Night Lights, which is a huge influence on The Chosen. It's one of my favorite shows of all time. And I was binge watching a show called The Wire, which is an HBO show, which you know, I wouldn't necessarily recommend to Chosen fans. Um, but the, the whole multi-season, multi-character, you know, character development, you know, kind of the inner workings, the wire is all about the inner workings of the of the, the drug war in Baltimore and showing you the mayor's office and showing you the cops and showing you the drug dealers. And I just thought that's never been done before in a Jesus show. There's never been a multi-season show. And the thing that makes me so compelled by these shows that you can't get in a movie or miniseries is the character development and the fact mm-hmm. that you can dig deep into these stories. And Bible projects tend to be verse by verse, miracle by yep. miracle, you never get to know the people who Jesus is impacting. Um, you, you, so therefore there's this kind of emotional distance from all these encounters. And I just thought, I, I really think that there could be a really cool Jesus show if you really 
followed all of his followers and even his enemies and really did kind of a multi-layered show that goes from season to season. Uh, I had that idea, but I didn't think anything would necessarily come of it. But uh, very long story short, that short film that I was doing primarily because it was, uh, I mean, I, I wanted to do it, but it was also kind of as a, as the breadcrumbs left over from my, you know, my, my big Hollywood failure. And uh, it turned out, of course, as we know, to, to be the catalyst for, it ended up shattering the all-time crowdfunding record. Uh, the, the notion of doing it as a crowdfund was, I thought was ridiculous, uh, would never work. It was an idea that our distributor had. And, um, but I thought, oh, you know, what have I got to lose? And I'm, I, I'm in this place spiritually where I'm really genuinely okay with never making another movie as long as I'm in God's will. And uh, that's what the, the failure of my movie did for me. It was brought me to surrender uh, for the first time in my life. And uh, so everything with The Chosen has been from that place of surrender. So I know that's a really long answer to your question, but I, I, I didn't, while I was making it, the idea came to me, but the notion that I would be where I'm at now, sitting, you know, talking to you in the middle of season two and, and the, the impact and the, the reach that the show has had, I wouldn't say surprised me because I don't have, I don't get surprised anymore. I just do whatever God wants. And then he, you know, I've, you've probably heard me talk about this. It's not my job to feed the 5,000. It's mm -hmm. only to provide the loaves and fish. So if God chooses to feed the 5,000 with whatever loaves and fish I make, that's not a surprise necessarily, uh, but it's also wouldn't be surprised anytime I give him my loaves and fish and he just takes them and says, thank you. And that's it. Nothing comes of it. So neither, neither success nor failure surprise me anymore. I don't care about success or failure anymore. Uh, I just want to make sure that I'm doing what, what God wants and that I'm honoring his story. And I think you've done a great job with that. One of the things that's impressed me about the show is how you told it the different characters, as you mentioned, the multi-character perspective and seeing that, seeing it brought into it. I mean, it's, it's hard to take a, <laughs> the story of Jesus and bring a new slant. I mean, this is the most repeated story and most known story the world over. And yet you've brought in pieces and flashes that I thought humanized and connected you to the characters so that they created on ramps that when you do encounter them in the biblical story, you're like, Wow, I get it. I mean, the fact that you made Matthew uh, autistic, you make Peter, he's in debt. I mean, you got Simon the Zealot, who's trained as an assassin. And I'm looking around, and I'm like, I'm, I'm, I'm excited because I thought no one has ever talked about the fact that you got Simon the Zealot and Matthew, one guy's working for the Roman government, and the other guy's an anarchist trying to take it down. That's had to have been some pretty cool conversations around the fire, and you did it. That's, yeah. that's what I was amazed at. Even when you have Peter going after Matthew, saying hey, why were you working for the government? I'm like, that's it. That's these. We forget these guys are human. Why do we have such a hard time? Because there are people that love this and I know you've got your critics and people can't just operate outside of that. How have you tried to just walk that line? You and the other writers, I know you get your team that's there. You guys have been writing and creating this and it's it's been phenomenal. But is it you or Ryan or Tyler that kind of created that or did you guys create that together? Oh yeah, we created together. I mean, it's ultimately my show. I'm the final say on everything. And it was, you know, so I, we don't, we don't deny that. And I, I, I embrace that not, not because of arrogance because, but because I want whatever slings and arrows come, they come to me because yep. uh, it's, it's ultimately my thing. Um, but I, I, I really don't walk the fine line um, in terms of how people will react because what, what, what happens is like, if you go to our fan club on Facebook, for example, uh, 
you'll see people of every faith tradition and denomination. You'll see Mormons, you'll see Catholics, you'll see Greek Orthodox, you'll see atheists, you know, not, not as many atheists obviously come to a fan club, but you'll see people of all stripes come and they're like, they love the show and they're huge fans and they go, wait a minute, you're not supposed to be here. You're not supposed to be here. We worship different Jesuses. How dare you be here? Um, and every single thing that I do, someone's going to hate it. Yeah. Um, some, some people won't even watch the show because it's not all from scripture. In fact, I would say probably 95% of the content isn't from scripture. Um, every time someone says hello, that's not from scripture uh, because they, you know, you don't, you don't see that in scripture. They, scripture was meant to, the gospels were just Jesus's greatest hits for the purpose of revealing that he was the Messiah and the son of God. It wasn't meant to be a TV show. It wasn't meant to be a character study of the disciples. And that's what this TV show is. It's a historical drama based on first century Galilee using scripture as our primary motivation, our primary inspiration, our primary source of truth, but it's not a replacement for the Bible. I say that from the John. Yeah. And um, and so, but, but to your point, people are always going to be nervous anytime you show stuff that's not from scripture. And, and, and so my primary goal is, A, I gotta just make sure I make a good show. That's really, really hard to do. B, I gotta make sure I'm never violating the the, the the character or intentions or contradicting the character or intentions of Jesus in the gospels. So when you're writing Jesus, when you're writing the, the, the his followers, uh, you have to be very, very careful that when you're doing stuff that's not from scripture, that you're honoring who he was. But even that puts you into dangerous waters. I mean, mm -hmm. our most controversial moment of our show so far, of 13 episodes we've done, where 95% of it is outside of scripture, and most of the people who watch the show are passionate believers in scripture, including me. You'd think that there'd be controversy all the time. And for the most part, it's been relatively low until I showed 10 seconds of Jesus doing sermon prep. And sermon prep uh, has been the number one most controversial thing that I've done on, on The Chosen. Uh, it's still the minority. Most people love it and all that. But like this time, it was a measurable outcry of people who believe that Jesus never would have ever prepped a sermon, wouldn't have needed to, wouldn't have rehearsed it, wouldn't have struggled with you know, how to say certain words. And then you go, see, this is what we're talking about. This whole God-man thing. If you watch me in all of my interviews, if you watch the show, no one can watch the show thinking that Dallas Jenkins doesn't believe that Jesus was the son of God and the father, son, and spirit member of the Trinity. He does miracles. He has authority. He's the savior of mankind. And I also believe he was a man who cut himself, who had to stretch out sore muscles, who had to start a fire himself, the, the normal way who couldn't bench press 5,000 pounds because he had limitations, <laughs> who, as the Bible says, didn't know when his time would come, who didn't know, uh, you know, tried to convince his father to change his mind about the crucifixion when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, who wondered if his father had abandoned him while he was on the cross. I believe he was also 100% man, and sermon prep does not fall outside of my belief about who Jesus was. But for some people, it's literally, they're like, blasphemy i can i'm heartbroken i can never watch the show again so mm. i'm just giving that as an example of something that you're 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 the show is walking a fine line but i'm not i can't worry about that if i'm worrying about what i'm going to get from a youtube comment i'm going to be uh, uh i don't know what word i use crippled with fear you know yeah, where every time yeah. i write it, i'm wondering how people are going to respond i'm just like all i can do is try to please my savior as i write and try to make a good show and something is always going to offend somebody. And uh, I've got people who are, you know, Catholics criticizing me because I show Mary as a normal person. Mm -hmm. Evangelicals criticizing me because I've got a Catholic on my advisory team. 
Um, you know, people criticizing, saying, I can't believe you showed Mary Magdalene relapsing uh, after she accepted, you know, after she's been redeemed by Christ and others saying that was the most moving, powerful moment of the whole show. And it spoke to me deeply, you know, so I can't be moved by the praise. I can't be moved by the, the attacks. I just have to be trying to do what God wants me to do. How do you, how do you manage that? By the way, I mean, just hearing that, hearing what you're dealing with, knowing how the online mob works, knowing how it works within Christian circles, you're right. You're never going to please anybody. I mean, in many ways, Jesus was doing the same thing. He had people that were after him. He had Paul had the people after him. And then I, I think about Paul saying, I was in danger on the streets. I'm danger in the cities. I'm danger with brothers. And then I got this daily anxiety for all these churches. I'm getting reports in Corinth that a guy's sleeping with his stepmom. They're getting drunk at communion, you know, in Thessalonica, they're quitting their jobs because they think Jesus is coming back. I mean, he had the same kind of stresses and yet you still have to keep that hope and an expectancy of Christ transforming lives. Is that what keeps you going? Just knowing that, Hey, it, you're right. I'm, I'm only before an audience of one. I know it's Christ and I know he's going to work through this. And, and so I, I, you know, how do you, how do you sift that? How do you handle all that? Yeah, I, I think you have to develop a superpower, which I've developed, which is to not care about the, the responses. And I mean that from a positive and negative. I mean, my wife, when we first started this show, God had her in, in the old Testament in her quiet time constantly. And she wasn't quite sure why. And then she started to read, be reading constantly all these stories of success and how devastating success was for followers of God in the Old Testament. And she started saying like, I believe God's warning us about success um, more than he is warning us about failure. And I was coming off of a failure. The failure is what drove me closer to him. I did amazing with failure. Like I had a God moment with failure that changed me as a human being tremendously. And she's like, yeah, now I believe God's preparing us for success. We didn't know what, we didn't know how it was gonna look like. And of course it turned out to be true that the chosen has become extremely successful. and. So I'm when I say I don't care, I don't mean that to sound dismissive, um, and I don't I don't dismiss like I care about godly counsel from people who I know and trust. Mm -hmm. I you know my evangelical scholar, Messianic Jewish rabbi, and and my Catholic uh, not my Catholic priest because I'm not Catholic, but the, those guys who read the scripts and who kind of give give advice on here's some of the things that we think are potential red flags, but they don't have any veto power. It's just like, here, just keep an eye out on this. I have my wife, I have my, you know, my co-writers, I have my, my close friends, my pastor, all that stuff. Um, so I care about that, but I don't care about a stranger on YouTube saying either you're a heretic, blasphemer, false prophet, sending people to hell, or you're the greatest man I've ever seen. Thank you for changing my life. Your show is the greatest show of all time. Neither one of those things can motivate me. And so I find I find the praise to be lovely. I love impact, obviously. Seeing impact is great. And when someone tells me that they're closer to Christ and reading their Bible more than ever because they watch the show, that of course is moving. Um, but I, can, I, don't, I don't take it personally. And I also don't take the attacks personally. Uh, mm. And that, that's just, you just have to, you have, you have to find your identity in Christ and it's a cliche. But typically it comes after failure, like it did with me. And you just have to really truly get to a place. And it's a discipline of every time you feel compelled to be motivated by your ego, you're gonna replace it with scripture. Um, and just, it becomes a habit. And I've developed the habit of genuinely not caring. And that's, that's I think, uh, a superpower that has allowed me to be able to do the show from both the positive and the negative aspects of it. Um, and some people I have to acknowledge are sincere. So when someone says, Mm -hmm. you've just wounded me because you showed Jesus preparing a sermon. I can't believe it. And I can't trust this show anymore. I'm not going to just assume they're a jerk. 
like I, I believe they're coming from a very sincere place and they believe that their perception of who Jesus was has been violated. And um, that's that, that, that if I was them, I might be concerned too. I hope that they would judge the show on the whole. I hope that they would acknowledge that there's probably gonna be some things to disagree with me about and that they trust my heart and that I'm pursuing God as much as possible. And uh, that maybe we just happen to disagree and that scholars have disagreed on the God man thing for 2000 years and it's not gonna be settled by a comment on YouTube. And uh, other than that, you just have to do your best to make the best show you can and respond to the fans when necessary. And the rest is up to, up to him. What's been the most pleasing thing for you as you've seen this start to grow? And I know you've shared stories. I mean, even the story that you've shared of your own failure and how God has taken that, that's been an encouragement to me. I mean, we're not even talking about the actual movie now. I mean, the, the series, we're just talking about how God has worked in your life in a redemptive way. But what's been the real positive for you as you've seen this grow and you've seen it impact, you're hearing it, but what, what's really touches you or gets you going uh, to keep you going through this? Yeah, I think there's two things. One is when it comes to the show and the reactions, I'm, I'm hearing from people all over the world who are saying, my children love the show. My six-year-old wants to watch all the episodes, which makes no sense to me because even adults can struggle with the show sometimes. I mean, mm -hmm. it's a complicated storyline. It's, it's not just flanagraph Jesus. Um, and the fact that six-year-olds like the show, I didn't expect, I didn't anticipate. It doesn't make sense to me. And it's awesome. Uh, so seeing God remove the scales from our eyes, the eyes of viewers and, and be drawn closer to Jesus uh, through the show and seeing that my goal has been realized in the sense of making sure that the show wasn't a replacement for scripture, mm -hmm. um, that people are saying, I'm reading by the Bible more than ever. So anyone who criticizes the show and says, people are going to be confused. They're going to think that this scene is from the Bible when it's not. And I'm like, all I can tell you is we've never heard from anybody that they've now watched the chosen and don't need to read the Bible. All we hear is I'm reading the Bible more than I ever did. I'm praying more than I ever did. I feel closer to Christ than I ever have. And I'm now the Bible is coming to life for me and they don't replace the Bible with the show. So that's been the most pleasing thing. On a personal level, besides the whole feeding of the 5,000 realization, um, my wife calls these Red Sea moments or there's two things that my wife, terms that my wife has coined is Red Sea moments and the MANA program. And that's been the most encouraging for me is the MANA program is you know, when God gave manna to the Israelites, each day they woke up with their hands outstretched looking for their daily bread. And he didn't give them any more than that. And even said, if you try to store it up, I'm going to make it rot. Uh, I think he wanted them to be daily reliant on him. And I've gotten to that place. I'm sure I fail often too, and I'm sure I'll fail in the future, but that's my operating principle. And then being comfortable in the Red Sea moments when the Egyptians are chasing the Israelites and they've done all they can, and they've run and they get to the Red Sea and now there's no place to go. Mm. And the only way they forward is as this uh, great worship song from Elevation says, you turn seas into highways. Um, you know, God, the only thing left was for God to open part the waters and to be comfortable in that spot where the only thing left is a miracle and you are powerless and you can't do it. Uh, to be actually comfortable in that spot, which is really hard for me, has been uh, one of the joys of this project. Now, hearing that, hearing you talk about what God's done with it, hearing the, the just talking about the manna and the Red Sea moments, how do you... How do you just internalize that? Because there's this part, I think, that when you get into the, 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 the influence that you have, that you're touching lives, that people think you're ahead, you know, head and shoulders above in your spiritual walk. And because you've humanized the biblical characters to show they're very much like us. 
do people then treat you in kind of that similar way or the opposite way where they say, Hey, you've achieved all this. You've got this great spiritual walk. And you're like, no, 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 no. You don't get it. I'm, 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 I'm one of these people that's struggling and having a hard time and I'm human too. I mean, is that what you're also trying to convey or how do you just mentally and emotionally conceptualize that? I try my best to communicate that. I mean, um, I, you know, the four core essences of the chosen, we got together as a team a month ago and, and, and came up with, all right, what is the chosen's brand for lack of a better term? I don't want to, mm-hmm. use, you know, I know uh, you, when you're talking about spiritual things and you use terms like branding, it can be dangerous, but, uh, mm-hmm. but a, as a show, as a project, what is our brand? Who are we? What is the show? And the four words were authentic, intimate, playful, and disruptive. And mm. Uh, authenticity has been the number one thing from the beginning for us. We just decided to pull back the curtain. Um, and I've just said from day one and all along, like I'm an imperfect person. I'm a flawed man. I, I've said, look, I'm an evangelical conservative Christian. Here's what the show is going to look like as much as possible, but we are going to disagree. I'm going to make mistakes. There are things I'm going to do that you don't like. Let's let's just talk about that now. I'm a broken, flawed human being. Um, I mean, even, and just even last week when we were, when we were getting criticism about showing Mary Magdalene relapse, um, in my, in my video that I put out on YouTube, it was just a selfie video. It wasn't even highly produced. And I was passionately def- not defending, but I was explaining my perspective on, on sin and relapse. And in that I mentioned my own struggles with pornography or, or you know, that mm-hmm. from, from my past, uh, that, that I'm, I'm fully capable of relapsing if at any point, um, you know, I have protections and accountability in place, but right, 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 right. So, you know, I, I have vices just like everybody else. And um, so I've never hidden anything. Now, there are people who, you know, I, I'm sure this is true of you as a spiritual leader. I'm, I'm not a pastor, but no matter how much you say it, people will, ha- you'll have those moments that I've had where someone walks up to you, they or they see you and they start crying because they, you're a celebrity to them, or you've changed their life. And so they think of you as a, as a spiritual guide or parent. And so I, on one hand, I could do the whole, no, 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 don't talk to me, just look at God thing, which I do by definition. I mean, I'm always pointing people to God, but that's one extreme is like, no, 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 I'm nobody, I'm nobody, I'm nobody. And the other extreme is I'm somebody, I'm going to build an an empire here, Mm -hmm. a spiritual empire, and I'm going to now embrace this role and I'm going to claim that the show is inspired by God and that I'm a spiritual authority. I, I land in, in this middle ground of, okay, clearly people look to me for guidance. Clearly people see something in the show that they're not necessarily getting from their church. Um, clearly they're getting something from my videos that that is resonating with them. All right, I'm going to accept that and take it very seriously while of course encouraging them to find a good church and, and, and not look at me as their counselor because they don't know me. But okay, we're gonna then do a Bible study. We're gonna do a devotional book. We're going to, some of these videos are going to give reasons for why I make the choices that I do so that those people who are new to the faith or on the fence can cannot be reads blowing in the wind based on all the YouTube comments they're seeing. And they're like, wait a minute, I'm just reading that Dallas is partnered with Mormons. And I've heard that Mormons are, you know, uh, false prophets. So is this show something I can, I don't know. What, what, what does Dallas have to say about this? I've heard, I'm hearing people say that Dallas portraying Jesus preparing a sermon is blasphemy. Uh, what do I do about that? I, I don't, I, I'm, I'm a little new to this. Where do I go? So some of these key 
moments, these key controversial things, like the fact that we filmed you know, some of season two on a Mormon owned set or that I've got people working on the show or Mormons or Catholics or atheists or Greek Orthodox or whatever. I have to try to address that in some degree, not necessarily because I'm defensive, but because I think this is actually an opportunity to disciple a little bit mm. and to point people to how to navigate these kinds of issues and how to talk about them and, and to know that they can still trust that I'm seeking the Lord and that I'm surrendered and broken and, and that this, while this isn't a show that's verse by verse, you know, Bible, you know, Bible miracle uh, to miracle, it is grounded in a man, uh, it is grounded from a man and myself who loves God's word, who loves Jesus, who has who has core evangelical beliefs that uh, are unshakable and that the show is actually, is, you know, it's captained by a flawed man, but it's captained by someone who really does uh, want to follow Christ and can maybe perhaps give you some guidance and how you can as well, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. It was a really long answer to your question. I'm sorry, but that's, oh. these are important issues. Actually, I had a friend of mine who told me when I told him I was getting ready to interview you and he laughed and he sent me the hashtag shut Dallas up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he just, I mean, he was funny. He, you know, he's a buddy. No, I, like, I created that hashtag. I know that that's why he was laughing. He's just like, he's going to talk. I know he's going to talk, which is awesome. Cause I, I find it fascinating that you give such insight into the complexity of the characters. And as I said before, one of the things that I feel like people, they, they take and they deify the people so much that they're no longer human. And we have the people, the picture, of the saints walking around with a, the halos upon their heads yeah. and you've removed that you've removed it and you've made it everyday people what was the biggest challenge to be able to do that i mean making matthew autistic i mean that 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 was like okay is and watching it when i first broke out i went i think he's autistic and seeing how the guys even the way they talk to him because they don't know the diagnosis you know of course we're taking 21st century things and we're importing it back in the the first century so how did you guys really wrestle with how to have these people deal or struggle with those things and even going to the point where having Mary relapse which I find to be refreshing because I think most people think delivered done and it's like no you have to take up your cross daily this is the the Roman 7 die to oneself and because we all struggle, I do the things I don't want to do and the things I don't want to do this I do and you guys are bringing that out. But what was the thought process in creating the complexity of each of those characters to draw people in? Well, I have done a lot of study and research on the brain. Um, I became a much better filmmaker actually when I started um, researching psychology and, and leadership and communication. Um, when I, I have a family, I mean, I have autism in my family. Um, it's something I'm extremely familiar with. And as soon as it came into my family, I started researching it extensively. Mm. And when I started doing that, I became a nerd on the brain and on personality and communication and all that. So that from a specific standpoint, when we first started developing the show and developing who our main characters were going to be, we do what's called a character profile. And so you go, all right, Matthew, we know he's going to be one of our main characters. Let's write him up on the wall. Simon Peter going to be one of our main characters. We start writing down everything that we know about them from scripture because that's where we start. And then you start bringing in history and culture and what would be some of the, the, the things about history and culture that would impact these people that we don't know from scripture. Um, you're, you're a preacher. You, 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 every mm-hmm. sermon you do, you start with scripture, but then you, of course, go extra biblical and you give context. Mm-hmm. And you say, here's what would have been happening at this time. Here's what, right. you know, those things aren't in scripture. So there's that. And then it, at the end of the day, it ultimately comes down to 
understanding human psychology and the brain and how it works and you go okay so based on matthew what do we, what can we what can we extrapolate because we're going to be spending seven seasons with this guy and we can't just cover the you know the the 10 verses that talk about things he said or done we, we need to expand so you start writing and you go okay he was a tax collector so he's a numbers guy uh good with numbers uh he's a facts guy the first chapter of his bio, of his of his book is nothing but a genealogy yeah, because, yeah. and it's split into three sections of 14 apiece um, like equal. So he's, you know, he's a number, he's a facts guy and he's, he's very ordered. Then he chose a profession that made him an outcast, uh, hated by the Jews, disrespected by the Romans. Wow. That's interesting. And I started to go, that fits into like a lot of people with Asperger's or autism that I know, you know, they, they, they are comfortable being social outcasts because they're not great with people anyway. Uh, so, you know, I'm, there's exceptions of course, but it doesn't come naturally to them and numbers driven, facts driven, ordered, you know, wow. Okay. What if we made Matthew autistic? That would be an amazing way to humanize the show and humanize his character and draw him in. And, um, and then you do the same thing with Simon Peter. Okay, we, we know that he's temperamental. We know he's a leader. We know he's um, aggressive, violent, but also loyal. And so you start writing all that and then you start going, all right, well, what does that look like in a marriage? What does that look like um, when he's struggling financially, when he's being so heavily taxed that he can barely survive? What would he do? How, what would his desperation look like? And that brings me to the, where, where things can get controversial is like in episode five, there were three things that really stood out as controversial. Number one, Mary Mag Magdalene, you know, for, number one was Jesus's sermon prep. Um, number two, Mary Magdalene relapsing. And number three, John the Baptist. There's a scene between John the Baptist and Jesus where they argue and, and or I wouldn't call it arguing, maybe bickering a little bit as kind of cousins, you know, just kind of bantering back and forth. And, and uh, there are some people who lost their minds, just like John would never question Jesus uh, Jesus would never challenge John on something he's doing. John was one of the, Jesus even said John was the greatest, you know, of, of all of all of the, you know, outside of Jesus, John, John the Baptist was the greatest of all. And I and I'm always like, well, yeah, but he said that right after John had questioned from prison whether Jesus was actually the Messiah. John had spent time with Jesus. John had called Jesus. John, John had baptized Jesus. Another time, by the way, John argued with Jesus was when he baptized him. Um, and so in the very few verses we have about John the Baptist, we've seen him argue with Jesus or be questioning or frustrated, whatever term you want to use, about Jesus twice in, in, the, in the limited number of times we see him. So is it plausible? That's our operating question. Is it plausible? Is it plausible mm -hmm. that when Jesus and John have a sit down, to kind of state of the union about their ministries that John would be like, dude, why aren't you doing more? Like, why aren't you attacking, you know, the Kings in the, the more often than you are? Why, are, why do you sometimes, you know, tell people not to not reveal that you're the Messiah? Um, why haven't you started yet? What's going on? Like, that's how, and in fact, there were two Messianic Jewish uh, elders who watched that scene and were like totally in love with it. Cause they're like, yes, this is how Jews talk. We bicker. We <laughs> especially in the family like in family it's like you sit around the table and that's your love language it's like italian <laughs> we're going to push each other and then at the end of the scene john says look i was rude to you but that's because we you know i can tease a bit we can do all this but for the record my heart is yours my life is yours the whole reason i was conceived by two old people was to prepare their way for you i'm just eager for you to get to, to work you know and so you can you can make these assessments, what I believe are plausible, based on your understanding of human behavior, based on the little clues that you get from scripture, and you can create characters and human beings that look a lot like who we are. And that's the whole, what I believe is the secret sauce of the show. 
the thing that draws people most to the show is the humanity and the authenticity. And it also happens to be the thing that repels some people the most is well, they, they, they go, wait a minute, that's my hero and I can't see my hero struggle. And uh, I understand that, but I come from the place, I'm an evangelical, uh, an evangelical Baptist background. Yep, you know, yep. we, are, we are a group of people who are like, I don't want to call it self-loathing, but it's like, we are the Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 crowd. Like it is by grace you are saved through faith, uh, not of works, you know, lest any man should boast. The Romans, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There is none righteous, no, not one. Those are the verses that are plastered on evangelical walls, at least some, most. And uh, so this show is a show that's going to reveal all of our heroes, except for Jesus, sinning on a semi-regular basis. And uh, and Jesus, as a, as a human being, who also happens to be God, and how we how what that looked like i don't know that anyone really knows and certainly not the commenters on youtube so it'll all be well we'll all be kind of finding this together but i believe ultimately presenting a portrayal of the gospels that i think honors them well e even as you're you're doing that you brought out humor and you mentioned john the baptist because the funniest part in the last episode was after they cast out the demon and he goes yes and we all my whole family just started laughing at that moment in time because you you have these just ill-timed not ill-timed just appropriately timed moments where you realize again these were these were i mean when i think of the apostles these are 12 men when are you ever have 12 men together and there's not some ribbing or there's not something going on back and forth in these, these people? Uh, how did you balance that, bringing out just the humor aspect of it? Humor is a huge part of the show uh, intentionally. It's a huge part of my life. Um, you know, sarcasm is one of my love languages. Um, <laughs> you know, roast humor is, is my favorite kind of humor. Um, so, but humor has been a very important part of my life. And I believe it's a very important part of humanizing people, but I believe it's connective. I think whenever someone makes you laugh, by definition, you're drawn more to them because laughter is an involuntary response. It's always based on surprise. And you're like, wow, people don't think it through it this deeply. But if but by definition, when someone makes you laugh, you're like, wow, that person is capable of you know, arousing in me a response that I didn't even see coming, that I can't even control. Um, that's a really good thing. And I think that, that we, we really wanted to make that an important part of the show for multiple reasons. One, it, it kind of takes away some of the stained glass window, you know, walk into the church heaviness. Jesus is this blue-eyed, emotionally distant, you know, what I've considered to be somewhat boring caricature from, from, from most Jesus projects. Um, humor has a lot to do with it. So like the simple fact of showing Jesus wink in episode two when someone made a joke about his hometown, that alone has caused, we've gotten as many comments about that moment as almost any other moment in the show. Uh, episode five, when Jesus is dancing with his, with his disciples in the wedding and uh, Simon asks if Jesus can make uh, Andrew a better dancer. And Jesus says, some, <laughs> some things even I cannot do. <laughs> that was good, by the way. I love that. Yeah. Um, and that was rooted in the very first Jesus joke I ever told uh, in, in, on screen was for one of the short films I did for Harvest Bible Chapel. And it was Jesus sitting around the fire with his disciples and they were there was an arm wrestling match going on. And uh, Andrew loses the wrestling match to Thaddeus and they're all shocked. Like, I can't believe it, what is this? And Jesus says, even I didn't see that coming. <laughs> and, <laughs> and I remember, 
I remember when I wrote that. Well, I, I remember when I wrote that and I told my wife and she was like, eh, we'll see, you know. And I remember when we got to that moment and, and there were 3000 people in the room watching on a Good Friday service. And that moment came and it was, it was so cool. Not only was there a huge laugh, but it was a laughter that I could recognize as almost relief and joy. It was like, oh, I've never seen Jesus that way before. That's the Jesus that I would follow. That's, that's like the Jesus I'd want to hang around a campfire with. Like, it was just such this like beautiful moment of kind of just taking the sting off of it. And so that's intentional. Like, I mean, hey, that's, I think that's good art. I mean, I think any good art has contrasts. The best dramas are funny. The best comedies have emotion. And I think that's true of a good scene, you know, uh, emotional variance. And, 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 uh, and so that's, I think that's just good art when you can accomplish it. But I think it's especially important in a Jesus project to kind of take the sting off of what we've typically experienced with, with Bible media. I know this, uh, our time is short, but I, I want to take one more thing you said there. You said, you know, bringing out the humanity, you mentioned authenticity. It's my contention that as more we become more media driven, we're, we're so caught up in a world that's so fast. In many ways, we've lost our humanity. I mean, we're so connected. We're so wired. Um, and I go, you go back a hundred years ago, even looking at not even a hundred years ago, but let's go back 50 to 60 years. And we look at how Jesus was portrayed and there's this cosmic ass attitude or aspect to him where he's so far removed because God was so far removed. But now it seems like we've lost an idea of ourselves and we need that authenticity of Jesus to be brought out in our time because we've lost that. Do you think that's what you're trying to go there, go for there? Or is another thought process behind it? Because in many ways, as you said, there's been a relief because in many ways people see Jesus as unapproachable and they need him to be approachable in the here and now. But, but was that kind of part of your process and thinking through this? Yeah, I, I think I don't do anything for the express purpose of provocation. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to be authentic and honest about what I'm doing. I don't do things just to stir the pot. Um, even though Jesus did sometimes, mm -hmm. but I, I, I really do believe that that's, that's the, how I've always seen Jesus. Um, and so that's just coming, it's just coming from that perspective, which is our show portrays him as doing the miracles. He's the son of God. He's the Messiah. He's the savior. He's God. Um, but he, as Philippians says, did not see equality with God as something to be grasped. I mean, he came as a human being. He gave up something. What exactly that looked like how much of his omnipotence or omnipresence or omniscience uh, was always there or not is something that scholars have debated for, for 2000 years. But I've always seen like Jesus as a, as a guy who hung around the campfire with his friends and danced at weddings um, while at the same time was so connected to the father. Uh, and, and, and as he said in the gospel, I do everything by the father's initiative that he was capable of, of God-like, of God things, because he was also God. It's a very strange and mysterious and beautiful thing. Um, but I think that we've seen the God part so many times mm -hmm. that the human part is what we're going to focus on. And uh, not what's been so cool about the show is that that doesn't take away from his deity. Mm -hmm. I, people say all the time, it makes me even more drawn to his deity because of how he's portrayed now and the chosen. Like, the fact that the creator of the universe dwelt among us, that Emmanuel, God with us, and his first miracle was a favor for his friends because his mom asked him to, that the, the creator of the universe dressed a wound, because, you know, probably cut himself while he was 
um, you know, you know, doing some of his work, that he had to try to start his own fire, you know, to make food, uh, that he sweat, that he bled, that he was uh, tired, that he, um, you know, we don't show this, but that he pooped and peed, you know, I mean, for lack yeah. of, you know, to, to, to be crass, uh, all those things, I believe, actually draw me even closer to him and make his sacrifice and his death on the cross and his role as the savior of mankind even more overwhelming because he knew our pain and knew our struggle. And that's why the humanity of Jesus, at least in the chosen, is uh, essential. That's awesome, Dallas. And I know you've got to get going here. You've got more of these to, to, to more people to talk to as you can, you, you know, you considered, you continue to pursue your goal of 1 billion, 1 billion people, which is pretty incredible. But last, just the last part here, what's your, your goal? I mean, we know the 1 billion, but what do you really hope if your deepest, you'd ask God were to ask you, what's your deepest heartbeat you would like to see change occur? But I mean, really, what do you want to see as a result of the chosen going forth and going around the world? Yeah, our stated goal is we want to reach a billion people with the authentic Jesus around the world. Um, but that number is just, a, it's a, it's, it's it just, a, it's a symbol, you know, for, for impact. Uh, and even that I don't, I really don't think about those things. I don't have the, uh, Phil Vischer, the, the great creator of VeggieTales mm -hmm. said, you know, you know, his life changed when, when he realized uh, that where you're at in five years is none of your business. Uh, so many of us leaders and business leaders especially have five-year plans. Uh, I don't, I don't have that anymore. Um, so my goal is simply to, as I've said, I don't want to, I don't want to be cliche, at least in terms of what I always communicate, but uh, it's not my job to feed the 5,000. It's only to provide the loaves and fish. My goal is to make sure that the five loaves and two fish that I provide are as good and healthy as they can be. So that when they're accepted by God, uh, the transit, that's where the transaction ends, that he finds them a pleasing uh, offering. Um, impact is a great goal. I love seeing people impacted by the show. I want lives to be changed. I want people to be drawn closer to the gospels and to Jesus. That of course should be the goal of any believer. Um, but how that's measured, I don't have a goal for that. I genuinely don't. I, I can't say it any other way. I genuinely don't have a numbers goal or a depth goal. Um, it's, I, I wanna make a good show and I want it to be uh, pleasing to God. That's the best answer you could give. Dallas, thank you for your time and may God bless you and may the chosen continue to touch lives around the world. Thank you so much, brother. Good to talk to you. That was my conversation with Dallas Jenkins about the chosen. I would heavily encourage you to go check it out if you haven't yet. It's pretty incredible to see what God is doing with it and how it's touching lives all over the world. I also want to let you know that this episode today has been brought to you in part by Kathy Brothers of Keller Williams Innovate. If you're looking to buy or sell a home in the Chicagoland area, then Kathy is the person that you need to call. Give her a call or text today at 630-201-4664. That's Kathy Brothers of Keller Williams Innovate. And if this episode has blessed you, then please hit that subscribe button, leave us a review, interact with us on our social media pages, and share this episode with other people. And if you want to partner with us in our ministry, then please go to our website, apolloswater.org, and hit the support us button. We would love to partner with you. And to let you know that we welcome your questions or comments. We want to hear from the Apollos Army. Interact with us on our social media pages or simply email us at info at apolloswatered.org. 
And I want to let you know that as we're drawing season one to a close, that we were we are feverishly prepping for season two. And you need to know that this is not just a podcast. We have actually birthed through this podcast a 501c3, which is a nonprofit organization, a ministry to help you so that you might be able to water your world with the good news of Jesus Christ. And I want to let you know that next season, as we are preparing, would you please pray for us in this endeavor? And go to our website and indicate that you would like to partner with us. You can simply send us a message at info at apolloswatered.org. That's one P and two L's with a watered at the end of it. And we would love to send you our prayer update. We need people to be praying for this. God has blessed this ministry incredible in incredible ways, and we feel that we are just getting started. There is so much more to do, not just for a show, but to help people around the world so that they might fulfill the mission of God in with their lives, in their specific cultural context, with all of who they are. And we want to help that. That's why we are excited to let you know about things that are going to be appearing on our website, articles, and we're looking for content creators. We're going to be doing book reviews. And God has opened up doors with several different major Christian publishing companies so that we might be able to partner with them to make the name of Jesus known all over the world. So please pray with us. If you feel so led, would you consider giving financially to us? Just hit that support us button on our apolloswater.org page. And then there are all of the details that are there that can show you how to do it. And we want to thank you for listening. We are honored that you have decided to take the time to listen to us, to be encouraged, hopefully, by us. And I want to pray for you right now and pray for all of those who are listening to my voice. Heavenly Father, I do pray for all of those who listen to the Apollos Watered podcast and who desire to partner with our ministry. I pray, Lord, that you might bless them, that you might use them to fulfill the mission of God in their world. Lord, I pray that as we are able to water their faith, that you might help them so that they can water their world, whatever their world may be. No matter what the obstacles that they face, no matter what suffering that they are going through, no matter what sin clings so closely to them, I pray that they might find victory, encouragement, and hope through you, our God. So, Lord, we give you this ministry. We give you this podcast. We thank you for ministries and things like The Chosen. And we pray that you might use them to expand your kingdom in the hearts and minds of men all over the world. For the glory of your name, we pray. In Jesus' name we ask, amen. I do want to thank you for listening to our show and just joining this conversation with us. And I want to thank our team, Kevin, Melissa, Eliana, Rebecca, and Donovan for help making this thing happen. Water your faith, water your world. 
This is Travis Michael Fleming signing off from Apollo's Watered. Stay watered, everybody. <laughs>